0: This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. And here we are. We have been exercised, Father Jeffrey.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's a good amount of exercise is good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I exercise every morning. So (laughs) I I, I was once part of a comedy sketch show. This is going off topic already, but that's fine. (laughs) We rarely go off topic, so let's just do it. Uh, I was once part of a comedy sketch show. And uh, one of the sketches that I had started writing because you come up with these ideas and then you start writing some of them you finish some of them and then you only take a small percentage of the actual ones you finish and actually perform them right you take the cream of the crop this one didn't make it but it was it was about a character named father patrick patrick the exercising exorcist (laughs) um and you can just imagine where that would go but uh that was that never came to fruition, so maybe I I'll wonder have to do yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, so exorcisms, we finished that last week. Uh, well, actually, we didn't quite finish it. There's, I mean, there's a, another couple of prayers that happen. Um, and I think what we're going to do here, Father Jeffrey, if that's okay with you, is maybe explore some of the last bits in the prayers at the end of the exorcism that then lead into the renunciation of the devil and the proclamation or the uniting. Christ. I mean, because these things go together, right? You can't have one without the other. So, Right, right. So these these aren't like two separate services, right? It's just two parts that, yeah, you go from one to the other. Um, So let's look here at this fourth prayer. Um, So, I mean, one thing that comes out to to me right away is, you know, I mentioned last time that in our Bible study group, if you hear uh, a repeated word that keeps coming up, that is maybe one tool you can use to try and figure out what is being said in, in the passage. Another thing is just if a whole phrase is being repeated, right? That happens in the Psalms sometimes. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever, right? It kind of repeats and repeats. Well, here we have a part. Uh, the rubric says, uh, and the priest breathes crosswise form upon his or her mouth, brow and breast, saying... Drive out from him or her every evil spirit and unclean, uh, sorry, every evil and unclean spirit hiding and lurking in his or her heart. And he does that three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that already jumps out as sort of an important moment, um, an important central moment in in the whole thing. Was there anything you wanted to add to that, Father Jeffrey?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think as we set up this discussion of the um, renunciation and affirmation, um, which is about to, uh, to happen here, it's important to know, you know, where has this candidate or person been brought? And, you know, we mentioned before, this would have been over some period of time. The exorcisms would have taken place all through the Lenten period on a daily basis, alongside the instruction that was being given to the, the candidate. Uh, and at this point, um, you know, there's you know, as you move forward to that very last stage, this will be towards the end of Holy Week, uh, maybe on Holy Friday or Holy Saturday itself. The originally the bishop or here, you know, the presbyter is praying this prayer. Well, what? Where has the candidate been brought by this point? Well, all of that activity of. You know the the exorcism of of casting out of the old creation and preparing, you know this uh, this creature of, for the new creation. What what really you can talk about here is a kind of restoration of freedom, right? In order to make the renunciation that is about to take place, and finally the affirmation. So turning away from and turning to. You need a certain amount of freedom and capacity, agency, we would call it in in kind of modern um, psychological and ethical terms. Well, what Mm. has happened here is the restoration of agency, right? Because until those spirits, those evil and unclean spirits of error, evil, idolatry and covetousness, lying, uncleanness, right, that are referred to here, until those are dispelled... And until that that breath of creation of the breath of the spirit is is it enters in, then it, it's impossible even to make the choice. Right. It's impossible even to be in that place of being able to renounce the devil and to affirm Christ. And so it's not that this is something that is happening against the will of the person. Um, there's a certain amount of you know, you can't do anything without the grace of God here. That's referred to, you know, throughout the services. And there's always this idea that the person has been brought by their sponsor, right? And that that sponsor has had to vouch for a certain, you know, character to their life. Catechumens were expected already to be living, living a fairly upstanding moral existence. In fact, you know, some of those early catechetical homilies refer to that you know that unless they were already living a fairly clean and relatively sin-free life then you weren't even considered uh, you know as a candidate for this there's a certain amount of work effort and a certain amount of being brought forth by a sponsor you know by others that's taking place here but ultimately what the first thing that's done is almost to kind of lay aside everything and and free up this person to be able to do this next thing. I think it's really important to understand that where, where they've been brought is not to a, a state where they're being overwhelmed in their will or, you know, compelled to do something, but completely freed up. This is a, you know, a moment of utter freedom of choice that's being moved forward into. And so you get this reference to them being made rational sheep, Anybody who knows sheep knows that that's actually kind of a, an oxymoron of sorts here. You um, know, it's very hard to get sheep to do anything. Uh, but so there's an irony and a paradox here. But that that word rational, you know, which we get in different places in the liturgy, right, is uh, you know logihi, right? It's it's related to the logos. Uh, it's logical, mm-hmm. uh, and that logic, that that rationality, that reasonableness, is this opportunity to be able to to think and choose for oneself, no longer a slave to the body, to desires, to the devil, to the world, but a freedom to receive, again, the true life of God. And that's the the state that that person um, has been in. So we can then move forward to what you can do with that freedom, right? But it's it's important to understand where that person has been brought by right. this stage.
0: Uh, and, and I'll read that paragraph here. Uh, so this is kind of the final little prayer before the renunciation of the devil and make him or her a rational sheep of the the holy flock of your Christ an honorable member of your church, a son or daughter and heir of your kingdom that having lived according to your commandments and having kept the seal unbroken and preserving the garment undefiled, he or she may receive the blessedness of the saints in your kingdom.
1: Yeah. So choose this, right? You know, this goes right back to old Testament imagery, like, You know, Moses saying to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life. Right. But you have to be in that position to be able to choose it. And that's where we have that's where all of this activity so far has been directed to allow the person to choose. Well, so what are they going to be asked to choose now? That's where this whole next section is about. Right. Right.
0: Okay. well, the renunciation of the devil. So three times well i guess before we actually dive into the actual words on the page father jeffrey do you want to give a little rundown of like what's happening physically here like if you're if you're if you're watching this say your friend is being received as a catechumen or whatever what are you seeing the presbyter and your friend doing
1: right so uh, the rubrics here are interesting again we get i mentioned last time about the repetition of things well because this is you know has been originally taking place over a long period of time now we're at the culmination of lent we're on the threshold of of celebrating uh you know the the the, the baptisms and so forth at, on at the paschal vigil so in this last stage you know being asked to make the choice are we going to do this right and this is represented really powerfully right so again the rubric comes forward. you have to be unclad and unshod you know but here turning towards the West, right, turning to uh, away from the altar, away from all of the icons of the church, all of the things that we're going to turn towards eventually, but turning away from that and significantly with arms uplifted, right? And so picture not, you know, the Oran's prayer, you know, posture, right? And it's sort of praise and thanksgiving and so forth. But picture this, you know, we are going to turn and renounce the devil, the world, sin, and death, and it's you know, clenched hands. It's it's a kind of it goes right back to what we were saying before about the the way that these words are spoken with power, with conviction, with confidence. And it's this. Right. And you'll see what, the, what will happen eventually, you know, with the posture um, as we go through this. But the renunciation uh, section here, which um, is called the technically the apotaxis, um, is this this really, you know, strong you know, declaration and proclamation of God's sovereign power. And it's done with this powerful posture facing the West and arms upraised.
0: And for those who are only listening, Father Jeffrey had his arms upraised into into fists. Yes. (laughs) Um, We can see each other. So it's much easier to uh, (laughs) to say this. Um, Okay. Yeah. So let's get into the text. So the first thing that's said and repeat it three times the presbyter asks the candidate, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his angels and all his service and all his pride? And the candidate responds, hopefully I renounce them Mm -hmm. three times.
1: Hands clenched. Yes. Hands clenched. Fists in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, I mean, at a certain extent, you know, there's uh, something quaint about this language, right? Um, You know, Satan, all his works, all his angels, all his service, all his pride, you know, you might w- really wonder what that is. In, in in past times, this maybe would have been a lot more obvious, right? All the uh, idolatries, you know, there would have been a temple, you know, just down the, the road, you know, where all kinds of horrible things were happening, you know, sacrifice and orgies and and all kinds of, of things. And, and so that rejection was a very powerful rejection of of things that you saw well they're there they're still there today and i think that's one of the things we need to remind ourselves of the same kind of fundamental uh you know idolatries of power and money and sex and and, and so forth. And they are operative in really powerful, insidious ways. But we don't maybe associate them quite so strongly or or visibly as as those pagan temples and everything. But that's what it's about. Right. We said last time that God is a jealous God and to turn towards God, if you're going to choose God here, which is what's being asked in this moment of freedom and choice of agency, then you have to understand. Choosing God is to, is to exclude everything else. You cannot put anything else in the place of God. And so this is what we mean by all the service and pride and all the works of Satan. It's anything that you would dare to put in the place of God and that those idolatries have to be, um, you know, set aside. This is not so simply I have decided to add a kind of religious dimension to my life. You know, I'm going to take up Christianity the way last year I maybe took up knitting or cycling or something like that. You know, this is, this is a total transformation and it, it, it has to involve this apotaxis, this renunciation of anything that is not God. And yeah, it's, it's powerful stuff. So it's not just poetic language here. This really does mean Rejecting everything
0: else and and you you know you're you mentioned you can almost imagine this person with their arms upraised, looking out like because uh, they're facing away from the church, basically mm-hmm. um and you know there's the pagan temple down the street and things like that i I mean personally, I don't think it's a far stretch to see similar things, you know it, like when I think of temples in our society, I think of sports stadiums and shopping malls, you know you have the altar of consumerism and and I think we are to renounce those things as being central aspects of our life so like you know, as gods yeah right like there's nothing like we have to consume right yeah. we consume but we shouldn't uh be uh initiates of consumerism <laughs> right um it's it's uh to renounce things doesn't not necessarily mean not to use or not to it, it's not that you don't you can't go and buy something when you need to buy something it's just that those are no longer in the place of God. Those are not, that's not something that you offer up your allegiance to. Those are things that actually you have sort of control over. If that makes any sense. You don't let, um, you don't let the shopping you use you, (laughs) you. uh,
1: That's right. I mean, at no stage here, are we talking about a kind of spirituality that rejects the world that rejects, physicality and everything, what we're talking about is a new creation or like creation a renewed and, 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 and ultimately fulfilled and better, you know, the better way of thinking about the body and of thinking about every material aspect of creation is to understand that it can participate in the life of God that's far better than just having the world on its own terms the body on its own terms and that's what we're rejecting it's a it's a it's a complete and utter rejection of the world understood as having the world itself as its object and purpose right ultimately it's god this is about proper sacrament, uh, sacramental view of the world about the world being understood as a sign, an icon, an image, an embodiment, uh, a, a place where God can dwell. And, uh, and so, so yeah, it, it's actually a better way of, of, of understanding our physical reality. And ultimately it's about heaven and earth coming together, not about escaping earth towards some sort of, um, non-physical existence and so forth. But, I, I, you know, I take your point that, you know, if the doors of the church are opened at this point, at the back, you know, and the person is facing outwards, they're seeing the world. They're seeing a world that tries to live according to its own terms, that tries to have its own gods embedded within itself. They see the advertising hoarding. They see the the towers of commerce. They see the, you know, all the people going about their lives within a kind of limited understanding of what creation is and that's what's being rejected that's what's being cast aside not physicality creation itself because remember god himself is the source of creation and so to affirm god is to affirm the goodness of that but only for the purposes for which it was intended that is to say to to turn towards god and give glory to god and ultimately join with god in this heaven and earth temple
0: The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. The way I could put it succinctly is I think that malls and stadiums are just as much temples as often what was going on in pagan times
1: sure but we don't see it as you know as, you know i think most of us you know would kind of if we saw a pagan temple and all the things that were going on with it we would you know, immediately recoil at that we don't sadly have the same reaction to you know with in
0: consumerism and the grav- exploitation you know, of workers exactly. and yeah
1: yeah well we should we should, because it's actually far more dangerous even than, than those pagan temples. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So that happens three times, right? The, the presbyter asks, do you renounce Satan? And the candidate says, I renounce them, as in all his works and all his service and all his pride. Then, that happens three times. Then the presbyter changes the question and asks three times, have you renounced Satan? At this point, are the arms still upraised, Father yes. Jeffrey?
1: They remain upraised as long as we're facing west and renouncing, you know. So the whole apotaxis is a defiant posture, yeah. And uh, and it's interesting, yeah. I mean, you're asked to do it in the present tense, and then in what is really the the present perfect tense. And the present perfect tense that I have renounced is used always to kind of give a a definitive marker, a a line in the sand. It's happened, right? It's, you know, in in the language of the New Testament, we talk about, you know, Christ's death on the cross as being F apax, you know, it's once for all. Mm. Uh, It's not repeatable. And so there is this defining moment. Yes, it's this Renunciation is something we have to do again and again and again because conversion and repentance are an ongoing process. But there is nevertheless a line in the sand, a marker at which we first, by our restored freedom, were able to make this choice for God and against the devil. And and so I have renounced Satan is a really important you know part. And it's not just simply repetition, um, you know, of the first part.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's again, have you renounced Satan? And the candidate responds, I have renounced Satan. And then we get the fun part. Well, <laughs> oh, this is all the fun part. But the presbyter says, blow upon him and spit upon him. And uh, you know, I know Father Greg in Winnipeg would actually you're facing outside already. You're at the open yeah. back doors of the church, and he would say, like, take a couple steps out and spit. Let right go. Like, <laughs> like yeah um, and but I've also been in churches where it's been kind of a bit more attenuated and uh, you know a bit more ceremonial, where you sort of go, you know,, right, I'm not sure if you could actually pick that up in the mic that I did that, but um, yeah, but just kind of like a more of a symbolic- as opposed to letting it, letting it fly, yeah, um, I mean
1: regardless, it is a symbolic act, right, I mean it, right, right, so
0: to greater yeah, I mean, or lesser degree of physicality. <laughs> exactly.
1: Right. Um, you know, it, it, this really is, it's the kind of, um, you know, equivalent of throwing down the gauntlet. If you had a gauntlet, you know, to throw down, it's the declaration of war, right? This is a, uh, you know, you and I are no longer on peaceful terms, mm-hmm. right? I've, Renounced you, and that's it. You know, like listen, we uh, the war has been declared, mm-hmm. and this will only end up in one way. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, that's what's what's happened here, right? So this very last act of facing the West, arms upraised, fists clenched, is to is just utter declaration: we are no longer in the same camp. Count me as your enemy. Right. And now what do we do? We turn to the east. And what happens with the arms? The arms come down by the side in, in, in submission in surrender in mm-hmm. in this kind of posture of of, of loving, moving into the embrace of, of God himself. You know, this whole thing began with the fleeing. Right. Fleeing towards God. Well, this is the culmination of it. This kind of beautiful turning towards the east to symbolically towards the the rising sun and, and to, to God and and the arms that come down no longer raised defiantly, but 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 lowered in a kind of peaceful, serene, calm, comforted, secure surrender.
0: So that that sort of concludes the renunciation of the devil part of this whole equation, and as you mentioned, the arms go down, the candidate turns towards the east, towards the the front of the church, and then it's almost kind of like a mirror image of what we just had, right? Absolutely. But, yeah. But the presbyter says, "Do you you sorry? Do you unite yourself to Christ?" And the candidate says, "I unite myself," three times.
1: Yeah and so we went from apotaxis this is now syntaxis the, mm. so the, these are very much the mirror image um you know one of the other uh so the uniting the union the the joining the 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 surrendering and participating in in the life of christ and again as you say the, the three times and then um have you, you know? So again, we get that this present perfect uh, tense, this idea, this, this marker, this, this once for all moment has, is taking place um, in that act. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So again, three times, do you unite yourself? I unite myself. Then once, have you united yourself to Christ? I have united myself to Christ. Presbyter asks, do you believe in him? Candidate says, I believe in him as King and God. Now there's, there's a couple of different um, rubrics here, right, or a couple of different ways that it's actually done in practice. All these words are said in Orthodox services. Sometimes it's moved here or there or things like that. Um, but for the purposes of today, we'll just uh, we'll go through what we have on this page here. So, do you believe in him? I believe in him as King and God. The presbyter then says, "Bow yourself also before him." And I guess that's again a physical. I mean, that bowing yourself before him would be the mere image of where you actually spit. And blow on on the devil, um, whereas now yeah. you are now you are in in submission, bowing yourself before who, who uh, Christ, who you just called your king and your God um,
1: yeah, that's right, so um this is precisely the, the 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 mirror image where you had spat and declared war on Satan, you bow down and worship Christ, and I mean these are not. It, you know, just simply poetic expansions of one thing or another, you know. So, I mean, even the devil, even all of his, you know, fallen angels understood God as God, right? So to believe in Christ as king. And God is really significant. I mean, this yeah. is this is sovereignty. This is um, obedience. This is declaring that you are part of that realm, that kingdom, and not another. Right. In fact, the early church. I mean, this was the creed. Was just simply to say, um, you know, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Kyrios. You know, because who else was was supposed to be Lord? It was Caesar, right? Caesar was divine. Caesar was the Lord, and and that's what everyone was. Asked to adhere to, regardless actually what temple you went to or what gods you followed, the overarching, you know, theological political perspective was that Caesar was God. And so to declare Jesus as king and God was profoundly um provocative and uh, dangerous it's what got christians killed right because they did not want to acknowledge you know caesar you know as as god so this is this is truly an entrusting a faithfulness in god as king as sovereign as lord and you know it's really important to kind of unpack you know some of, of those words there i mean even the word faith we've debased in so many different ways we sort of think of it as some kind of intellectual um, belief or assent. Um, But this isn't what it's about. This is uh, faithfulness. It's unconditional commitment, trust, uh, total belonging to someone, regardless of of what happens. And it's the kind of mirror image of God's own character of being uh, merciful. Uh, You know, we are always praying in the liturgy, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And that's not about have pity on me. It's about saying to God, who he is the god of mercy of covenant faithfulness and love and for that to be called down and experienced you know in our lives and so what we're doing in our faith our trust is to mirror and and receive God's initiative of covenant love and and faithfulness and loving kindness and and that 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 character that he has. So we respond to his Hesed, which is the Hebrew for for that, that love, that mercy, that compassion, or Eleos in the Greek. Our way of doing that is to believe in him, but that word belief is pistis, right? It's faith, it's trust, is to trust in that love. And how do we do that? We by making him king and God of our of ourselves and in that totality uh, in that totalizing way that we talked about that's to the exclusion uh, of all others Um, and so um, you know this is exactly the opposite of the renunciation of Satan we have this total affirmation and trust in God
0: so before we get to the final prayer and to the final part of this section of the service I just want to mention that if you are watching or listening to this and you're not a patron of enacting the kingdom you're only getting half of everything Father Jeffrey and I talk about, and we talk about a lot. I'm actually, Father Jeffrey, going through some of the old episodes that we have. So if you become a patron, you'll get immediate access to our backlog. But you get things like Orthodox perspectives on political power, ecumenism, friend or foe, minimalism and orthodoxy, myths and mistakes of the Orthodox Church. Is the Orthodox Church inclusive or exclusive Lots of fun. Colonialism and Orthodoxy, one one of those hot topics. So uh, if you are liking what you're hearing and you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and pick a tier of support. And that helps us continue. um, That helps me continue asking Father Jeffrey all the questions that I want to ask him uh, Mm -hmm. for the benefit of our listeners and primarily for the benefit of me. Um, That's why I do this. It's for myself, Father Jeffrey. Well, Mm -hmm. After that happens, you know, there's the recitation of the creed, which I think we could probably do a whole other episode on on Mm. the creed. So what I'd like to do is go to that final prayer, Father Jeffrey, unless Mm -hmm. there's anything you want to cover before that final prayer.
1: Um, One just very quick Mm. remark about the creed. Obviously, this is the the creed we're familiar with. It's from the first two ecumenical councils, 325 and 381 at Nicaea and Constantinople. We hear this at every liturgy. One of the interesting things, of course, is that when the Creed is composed, it's composed in the second person plural. So the fathers of the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople would have written down and passed down to us a creed that begins we believe Mm -hmm. um, and we acknowledge and we look for the resurrection of the dead Uh, and yet it's written here as I in fact it's been received into the divine liturgy as I Um, curiously I think for orthodox who believe that we shouldn't be changing the words of a creed without an ecumenical council um, but it's precisely because it appears here first right as a baptismal proclamation of faith, right? So the candidate, him or herself is asked to express this trust in God, who God is, God's saving acts, trust themselves to God as their king and sovereign and Lord. And and so that's why that we becomes the I, because it has to be appropriated Individually, personally, here, right? And uh, you know, you could argue one way or the other for the Divine liturgy where we retain the I. but the reason the I came in in place of Louis was because it's of its appearance here first as a baptismal statement of faith. So it's just a little liturgical, yeah. uh, you know, uh, factoid, but uh, tidbit. it's tidbit, yeah. Uh, but it's important to understand you know that it has to be, you know this agency, this freedom of choice, this renunciation, this affirmation, it all has to be done. You know, by us. Yes, in community, it should be done in the, in the assembly of the people and the, everybody joining together. And all of us are always re-entering into it, redoing this all the time, every time anybody else is doing it. It's not done on some private ceremony apart from the, the rest of the assembly. But nevertheless, it has to, at the heart of it, be done personally. So the I comes in here, which is really fascinating.
0: All right, well, let's get into this final prayer here. O Master, Lord our God, call your servant, and then we give her the name, to your holy illumination, and count him or her worthy of this great grace of your holy baptism. Put off from him or her the old man, and renew him or her unto the life of the age to come, and fill him or her with the power of your Holy Spirit in the unity of your Christ, that he or she may be no longer a child of the body, but a child of your kingdom through the goodwill and grace of your only begotten son with whom you are blessed together with your most holy good and life giving spirit now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. And that concludes that prayer concludes the, um, the, uh, the whole thing of um, making of a catechumen. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, and, and, I think and, and, I, we've already kind of talked a lot about that, putting well, off the old man and, and being renewed and new creation and the life of the age to come. And yeah, I think, uh, we've covered a lot of that. So it's just sort of putting a bow on, on, on the whole thing, I think.
1: For sure. I mean, this is again, just this whole imagery of new creation of, of rebirth, you know, to be born again and so forth. I mean, there is no other way of being a Christian than to be a born again Christian. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, to refer to, um, You know, that beautiful prologue to the Gospel of John, you know, that the talks of those who receive the logos, the incarnate logos, that receive that light amidst the darkness, are given the the power to be born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right. And so this whole idea of no longer being a child of the body, and it's not that the body itself is bad. It's this whole idea we're talking about before. We reject the world. We don't reject creation we reject a world that's become uh simply oriented towards its own purposes and ends right Mm. and so that's what it would be to be a child of the body to be enslaved you know by the body uh to be you know enslaved by the will of the flesh as it were now to be reborn in Christ, to be put to death as the old man and, and rise again as the new man, is to be born of God, to become children of God and children of the kingdom. And this is beautiful imagery. It's entirely, you know, consistent with everything that we find in the Gospels and in the writings of the apostles elsewhere in the New Testament. It, it's just, you know, a really marvelous expression. And if we took this seriously, how different our lives would be, right? So one of the ongoing themes, I hope, during this Series of baptism is that baptism, yes, it's an F moment. It's a once for all thing. We don't repeat baptism, but we do need to re- return to it and, and learn to live it more deeply. Everything happens to us at baptism and chrismation. We become saints. That's what happens. We're born as children of the kingdom, and everything is already there. We've already achieved theosis. But we need to receive it, appropriate it, live it out, implement it. And so we have to go back again and again. That's what daily conversion and repentance is about. Not to repeat the whole process, but to, to call down the grace which is already there. So by our baptism, we are made children of the kingdom. We're made saints. We're, we're brought to the end times. We're brought to the banquet of the kingdom. But we have to implement that. And so these prayers, I think, you know, it would be worthwhile for us, not only even once a year as we go through Lent and Pascha and receive new catechumens and, and baptize them and chrismate them. But it would be a useful thing in our, you know, kind of devotional life, our spiritual life to, to look at these prayers every once in a while, to, to, to read that language and understand exactly what's happened you know to us through these sacraments and by our being grafted into this loving covenant community of god
0: enacting the kingdom is a patron supported show and if you're not a patron you're only getting half of everything we create if you'd like to join our growing community of supporters please go to patreon.com enacting the kingdom your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going Thanks so much and we'll see you next time.